Yo, what's good, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to another awesome episode of the greatest podcast this side of the Milky Way, 10 Toes Down. It's your boy, Dr. J, the pharmaceutical entrepreneurial Don Dada. What is happening? Yo, I want, I want to drop some gems on y'all right now, man. And I don't know, this is away from entrepreneurship. You know, this is about, it could be with that. It can be about your friendship. It can be about your marriage or your relationship or your job or with your friends or whatever the case is. But right now, you might be going through something. Y'all might be arguing. Y'all might be fighting. You might be going through something at work. You don't give a damn about these people at your job, whatever the case is. But what I want you to understand is don't make a permanent decision based off of temporary circumstances. Say it again. Don't make a decision, a permanent decision based on temporary circumstances like i always say trouble don't last long all right trouble don't last long really sit back and look at your situation really sit back and look at yourself in the situation really sit back and look at that other person in your situation switch the roles and you have to sit and identify the your your play or your role in whatever the situation may be and then take responsibility for it. It may not be your fault why everything has happened the way that it's happened. But it's your responsibility to either fix yourself in the situation to put you in a better place or make a decision to make sure you have some peace at the end of the day. And like I said, this is in regards to anything. Trouble doesn't last long. So if we want to go to entrepreneurship, like you felt like quitting today. Because that deal didn't go through or you didn't get as many sales you got. You got an eviction notice for your for your lease, whatever the case is, because you don't think the money is going to come in. Do not quit on your situation that's going on right now. Don't quit, especially if the circumstances are temporary. Take responsibility. All right. Step to your role. Step into it as the male or the female, the king or the queen that you are and make sure that you either come at it with peace or you come into it with a resolution. Don't fight with a heavy head. Don't fight with a hot head and make sure you if you got to leave the situation, turn around and get yourself centered. It's OK to do that. Make sure you communicate about it. All right. But I don't know who needed to hear that right now, but I just kind of preached to myself in so many ways. But once again, man, do not make permanent decisions based off of temporary circumstances. But, yo, we got another interview today with Miss Brianna Lewis. We're going to cut to a commercial break and I'm going to see y'all in a minute, dude. Man, listen, I'm a pharmacist and I still don't know how insurance works. But when I do have questions, I always hit up Appealing for Your Rx. They're a Central Florida company that provides education on maximizing your health care benefits while also lowering your out of pocket costs. So hit them up at www.deannacarolsmith.com and use the code name 10 toes down and you might get a discount. Once again, that's www.deannacarolsmith.com. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. So once again, on 10 Toes Down, we're making monumental moves and we got another interview with Miss Brianna Lewis. She is a licensed mental health therapist and also the owner of Inspired Living Counseling and Consulting. Yo, what is good, Miss Bri? What is happening? Oh, Josh, it's, 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 it's a lot going on, but I'm happy <laughs> nonetheless. How are you? I'm doing delightful. But, you know, stuff, stuff that's going on, especially at this time right now, is pretty good. Busy is good because a lot of people are not as fortunate. But you know, I'm doing well. Just trying to shake and move some things around and trying to get my groove on. You know me, the same old style, different ways. You know what I mean? So what's been going on with you? Is there people about yourself a little bit? Oh, um, well, my name is Brianna Lewis. I am an Orlando native. I am the owner of Inspired Living Counseling and Consulting. I'm also the owner of the Mental Health Boutique. I, uh, my company is a private practice here in Orlando, Florida, but we do service uh, the state of Florida virtually. Um, my practice area for therapy is trauma and developmental trauma. And I'm also um, trained and I practice EMDR, which is a specialized uh, treatment modality for trauma. Um, we are actually in the process of expanding at this moment and then growing into a group practice. Um, it's my goal and my vision to 
um, really cultivate a practice that can better serve our community, particularly for people that look like me mm-hmm. and, um, and provide just specialized care for uh, people of color and, uh, and, and meet their mental health needs. We're a full service mental health, um, full service mental health practice. Okay. I hear that, man. That is awesome. And so, I mean, to, before before I cut in, I just want to let y'all know she went to FAMU, um, by the way, because we out here doing great things like the usual. Um, and not to brag or nothing, but it's, it is what it is. Um, but that's a great segue that you went into because, um, you know, being African-American, we have such a stigma on like mental health, right? right? So like what made you begin to step into this role in regards to mental health being a black female? Um, so when I first got my, okay, let me back up. So initially when I, you know, when I declared my major in undergrad at, uh, the the greatest HPCU FAMU, (laughs) I initially went to school for, um, veterinarian medicine and that's where I started. And as I kind of got into it, I'm like, "Eh, you know, I really don't, I really don't like this. And I certainly can't see myself doing this for the rest of my life. So um, growing up and even in undergrad, I was always like the go-to person to help people process things. And um, I was just always that person. And so, you know, I say it was, was God kind of led me into where he wanted me to be. And I, I stumbled, stumbled across my major. I talked, to, I talked to a few people who were in it as well. I knew what my end goal wanted to be, what I wanted my end goal to be, excuse me. And I mapped that out and I made it happen. So my first taste of mental health, um, my first experience really was while um, at FAM, my senior year, I did my first internship ever at Chattahoochee State Hospital, which mm. is a psychiatric prison in Chattahoochee, which is like a little bit outside of Quincy, Quincy, Florida. And my role there in my internship was to work with the inmates who had pled um, not guilty by reason of insanity. So I had to work with them to gain competency to stand trial. So I loved it. Everyone thought I was, you know, out of it. Like, how, like, how could you love that? But I, I absolutely loved it. And I knew, like, that's where my heart was. I knew from that internship, that's what I wanted to do. And as I worked... Oh, internship. <laughs> that was a, a very enlightening internship, to say the least. But the knowledge that I gained um, from the internship is... It, it, it literally still sticks with me to this day. And I'm so grateful to, to FAMU for, for giving me that opportunity to uh, be exposed to something like that that I never even knew was possible. Mm-hmm. So um, I ended my internship. And from like I said, from that moment, I knew that mental health was where I wanted to go. That's where I wanted to be. And I truly felt in my heart at that moment, that's, that's where God wanted, to me, wanted me to be as well. So um, graduated from FAM, applied to, applied to grad school. I went to grad school at UCF, went through my master's program. Um, and then, you know, your master's program, you, you kind of get a feel, you get a different internship. You actually have, we have two internships in the master's program. And that's, you know, designed to give you, you know, a, a different taste of the different sectors of mental health. There are so many different um, capacities that you can really serve in from children to geriatrics to substance abuse to, um, you know, to trauma. It's just so many different things. So I, my first internship was with uh, at Lakeside. If you're from Orlando, you know it as Lakeside back in the day. Now mm-hmm. it's Aspire. Um, I think they were like bought out or something. So that's when I first had my first experience in working with children. I'm so grateful for that opportunity as well because that's when I determined that I don't like working with kids. I don't like I can't. <laughs> not because I don't like children because children are they're beautiful, they're resilient. But I'm a very emotional person like I know that about myself and I found myself like constantly crying in these sessions and I'm just no good for, for nobody like we both in there crying I can't help I can't help <laughs> right <laughs> all that. so you know that just isn't my strong point and as a clinician I'm okay with that I'm able to accept that I can recognize that and I know that I can better serve in a different way so you know throughout my career at this point and I'm still, you know, a baby clinician and I, you know, I'm, I'm, it, it's a, it's a forever evolving, um, field. But at that point I started to work with more people who look like me. And from my first instance with mental health back at FAM up until, you know, at that point, 
my um, internships in grad school, I began to notice a trend that black people and particularly black people, like, I, I, you know, people of color has become such a popular term uh, more recently. But, um, you know, and I don't want to exclude anyone, but black people specifically, um, we were dealing and approaching mental health completely different than anyone else in comparison to other races, in comparison to other cultures and things like that. So I began to notice a trend, you know, and, you know, being, you know, speaking personally, I know growing up, you know, our business stayed in the house. You don't tell our business. And if you if you're feeling depressed, God forbid you say depressed. You, now you got to go pray that off. I was in the go, house days in the house. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, mental health just unfortunately wasn't really recognized or acknowledged mm-hmm. um, at that point. We're doing a great job of that now. But, you know, especially when when I you know we're, we're about the same age. So when we were younger, that really wasn't a thing for us. And um, I noticed that other races were there was just such a huge disparity in the likelihood of other races pursuing uh, mental health treatment than that of people of color or, or, or black folks. Mm-hmm. So I began to notice that trend and I just became, you know, just got really intrigued as to like, why is this? Like, why are we so reluctant to pursue mental health, like and, pers- and pursue mental health treatment? You know, we're so quick sometimes to go to the doctor if you have a headache, you go to a doctor. If you have heart problems, you go see a, a cardiac physician. And the brain is no different. Like your, your brain is, is, a, is an organ as well that needs to be checked and it needs to be maintained. So um, I began to notice that trend. And the deeper I got into it, the more I noticed that something has to happen. Like something, something's got to change. Like I don't, I don't like this at all. Um, so after grad school, I graduated and I began to work in geriatrics and um, I soon found that I didn't like that population either. <laughs> you know, like old people, man. Wow. That's crazy. <laughs> Savage. I'm just playing y'all. <laughs> Listen, the geriatric population, they are so wise. They are so full of wisdom, but a lot of their issues were like death and dying. So it's very like severe depression. They just kind of want to end their life. And I'm constantly, okay, do I need to baker up them or what? Like they're, you know, 90 years old. If they want to die, then they, they've lived their life. Like, you know, so a lot of it was them just accepting things that they weren't able to come to terms with during their lifetime and just a lot of death and dying issues. So I didn't, I didn't like that either. Okay. So um, I then, after my geriatric experience at a nursing home, I then moved on to Florida Hospital, which gave me... Um, a more, uh, it gave me a broader view of different populations within mental health. And that's when I kind of found my, what we call a niche, which is like a specialty. Mm-hmm. And um, it was at Florida hospital that I, I, I felt confident that I would be, um, I would, I would best serve in the population of adults, particularly trauma. So that, that took a while. And then um, I worked, I've been in healthcare for quite some time. And then about four years ago, um, again, that push to really cultivate something that serves people that look like me, mm. um, that was just really weighing on my heart. So I uh, started my LLC, which is my private practice about four years ago. And, you know, here I am now, we're expanding, you know, God has been so good to me in that sense. And um, yeah, we're expanding, we, we accept insurances, and we're just really trying to serve our people. Hey, that's awesome, man. That's great to hear. So like, so when you mentioned in regards to like how as as black folks, we're gonna be real, how black folks, how we how we you how we have like this negative outlook on mental health. Like, I'm, I ain't crazy, XYZ, so on and so forth, you know. But you know, we have this what happens in the house stays in the house or from a religious aspect, you know what? That's nothing but the devil. God got me. You know, we have a lot of different sayings to, I guess, bring some type of a clarification to our our, our mental health. Like something, it's going to be okay. Like I don't need no help. It's going to be all right. For your business and for what you're doing as a mental health therapist, what ways are you kind of opening or breaking down that barrier um, amongst us to be like, you know what, this 
that's you know what this is not bad as i was i thought it was like what are those tools that you're using to kind of break down those barriers to like make it make it not seem so taboo yeah the 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 approach that i take with it um because i mean believe it or not it's still a very taboo subject amongst us Mm -hmm. i mean we have those pockets of people who are a little more open and a little more accepting but it's still a very taboo topic so the approach that i take is education and a lot of you know more I won't, you know, categorize everyone, but I will say quite often um, our our backgrounds are broken in some in some in some sense. Right. So I'm from, I come from a single parent household. I come from a household, you know, my father was incarcerated, things like that. You come we, we come from these different these different backgrounds. So, you know, at the end of the day, our parents, our mothers in my case, are just trying to raise kids the best way that they know, that they know how. Right. And, and, you know, she had, you know, my mother, you know, a lot of other people have different traumas that they haven't dealt with because they haven't been given the opportunity to. But now here you have a single parent, which is a burden and a stress within itself, trying to raise children while having even de- having dealt with what they've gone through. Right. And also too, unfortunately, I think within our culture and our, our race is a, a lot of things that we've dealt with have been normalized and what other races would, they, they, they would see that just as like the end of the world. Like, oh my God, like, how did you deal with that? But mm-hmm. to us, it's, it's a normal occurrence. Like, you know, if you, you go to certain parts of Orlando, people get shot, kids seeing people getting shot and dead bodies in the road, that's a normal thing for them, but that isn't normal. So right. that's all this residual, um, residual trauma from things that they've experienced that they really haven't dealt with because they've just deemed it to be another day in the hood or another day, you know, in their lives. And they carry that. And it's just generational and generational. And if you even want to go even further to developmental trauma, developmental trauma is when a child experiences trauma at a very early age, their brain responds to that. And it doesn't allow them to develop properly because they're having these chemical imbalances because their brain isn't given the capacity or the emotional validation to develop as it should. So it goes so much deeper into different different aspects. But you That's to, crazy. I didn't know that. That's crazy. Yeah. Look, look up developmental trauma. It's, 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 it's quite fascinating, actually. But just to think, we, you know, our people go through this so much without taking any of that into account. But now you have these, 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 these traumatized children who grow up to be traumatized adults without any justification, really. So here they are. They aren't able to have proper emotional regulations or proper um, social integrations because of what they've gone through. But none of that's even been acknowledged. So mm-hmm. imagine somebody trying to um, you know, integrate into society and to, to lead a normal life with having all this baggage that hasn't really even been acknowledged. So it's just so much that goes into it. But when I approach it from that aspect and approach it more so as education, um, they are a lot they're more likely to be open to it. And then also too, which is something that I promote through my boutique, mm. especially within our community who are Christians or who are believers is that having therapy doesn't cancel out God or doesn't cancel out Jesus. Like you can still pray and you can still, you know, seek help and, and, and talk to a professional. You can, you can have both of them simultaneously. But I think sometimes we believe that, you can't, you only can, you got to choose. And it, it's, it's not like that. So right. taking an educational pr- approach and, you know, speaking from personal experiences or um, observed experiences, they are a lot more likely to be open to the idea mm. of, of, you know, of, of seeking help. But probably the biggest thing that I see is, is, is we just don't feel comfortable telling people our business. Like, you know how, like, you know, how, um, you know how you always have that one white friend or a white person at work or something, just just tell all their business with no no think twice. Right. Like, story. bruh. <laughs> you know their whole life story within like six minutes of meeting them, but we are just so reluctant and so guarded, unfortunately. But I think it's it's a defense mechanism and we've kind of been conditioned to be that way, unfortunately. Right. From an educational standpoint, they're a lot more open to it. Okay. So like, it's, it's, it's funny that you say that because my next question is kind of geared toward that in regards to, um, I guess being a a black female therapist, 
because as a, as a pharmacist, you know, when, it, when we're counseling patients and I was telling a group of people the other day um, that people tend to have more trust when the person that is giving the advice or the profession or the professional looks similar to them. Um, you know, they kind of have the standpoint of like, this is my nephew, this is my niece, this is my grandson. Like we kind of have that kind of relationship off, off the rip because we look like one another. And because, exactly. Cause since both of us are young and sometimes maybe when you say like, you, you don't like old people, <laughs> I'm just playing y'all. <laughs> I'm just playing. But no, when we see each other that, that look like one another, um, I mean, it's, it's easy to, to start breaking down some of those barriers. So as a, as a therapist, um, what, I mean, what are the major differences that you normally see amongst somebody who's possibly, let's say, for example, been to therapy, but they've been to therapy with, you know, our counterparts um, or, or, you know, somebody that's not black. And what have they discussed what possibly their issues have been with people who don't look like us? Yeah. In, in, um, I will say the majority of my clients are um, African-American. I have, I, have, I have clients of other, other races, other cultures, but the majority of mine are African-American. And the first thing they do when they contact me, like if they haven't seen my Psychology Today profile or my Instagram or something like that, if they haven't seen me, the first thing they ask is, are you black? Like that's, that's, that's off rip. And wow, that's the first question. <laughs> Holy not crap. Background, not your license. Are you, are you black? First question. Mm. And, um, what I've, what, what I've been told is that, and from my own experience is that when you go to someone in such a vulnerable state, you don't want to have to explain different slang words you don't want to feel like you're being judged or being looked down on like you want to be like you want to be able to say like you know yeah it was lit and not have them think that something was on fire yeah, like when i say so, bruh you already know you know <laughs> you want to be able to speak freely you want to be able to speak freely without having to pause what you're trying to say to explain your vernacular so okay. it's like it, that's the probably the, the 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 biggest thing, and you just like it's comforting to have someone that looks like you, especially given these times when we we have so many people that are just like undercover racists and bigots and misogynists, and you just you don't know really who's against you, given mm -hmm. the given this current climate. So you know it's just comforting to have someone that looks like you, and you and you're trusting that because they look like you, they have your best interest at heart and that they're going to be honest with you they're not going to just come from a textbook they're not going to just come from some you know evidence-based practice like they're being real with you in conjunction with their education and their training so mm -hmm. is there a level of comfort that's provided when going to somebody that looks like you okay absolutely so and and so when you turn this into a business um what what were some of like some of the hurdles that you've run into just in regards to like possibly you know getting clientele being recognized it's, and and the thing about it is is what I'm proud of is that you're a black female therapist and um what I, what but unfortunately sometimes being a black female the the world feels seems like they're against you in so many ways so how have you what kind of you know th hurdles that you have to jump through being a black female therapist to, to show your education, to show your professionalism, to show that, hey, like, there's room for me, and here I am making it happen. Right. Um, probably the biggest thing is not because with, you know, with my license, I'm able to just basically open up shop um, because, you know, we're trusted to practice ethically, which means we're, we're trusted to practice um, and treat people that we are... Um, professionally trained and treating. So I can't, again, like I said, I don't work with certain um, issues and it would be unethical of me to take on that, you know? So I can basically just open up shop. But in opening up shop, the toughest thing I think for me has been, like I didn't have any pushback from anybody from the state. Like that was a very smooth process. Mm -hmm. um, but in, in, in having therapy with people who didn't look like me, I felt like in certain cases I was being questioned. So if I diagnose someone 
you know, like, oh, are you sure about that? Like, did you consider this? I got to, like, you know, I'm, I'm a licensed professional. I'm a licensed clinician. I need anyone to double check, you know, what I'm, what my clinical opinion is. So I, I felt, you know, in some cases that I was being questioned, I kind of felt like I needed to prove myself. I felt like I had to, you know, make sure that my work was immaculate and my documentation was immaculate because, you know, if for some reason I were to be audited or, or, or you know, or, or the, uh, and, you know, an insurance were to, to question me, I felt like I would, it would be tougher for me because I am a black female. Mm-hmm. So I just had to make sure that I literally dotted all my I's and crossed all my T's and um, made sure that everything was together. But I feel like I had to work harder in that sense. I didn't have the luxury of being, um, you know, relaxed with any aspect of my business. I needed to make sure that everything was like in tip top shape. And um, I would say that. And then having and then feeling like I had to prove myself with and not only my colleagues in certain cases, but also my clients. Like if I had a client that, you know, not, I, I don't think I was ever questioned by a black client, but I did have a few um clients of other races that that question my clinical skill which was very insulting but um you know i can't help but wonder if they would have done that to someone that didn't look like me so those are probably the biggest challenges that i've had um yeah those probably the biggest challenges that i've had in in within my business Okay. So like you've been, so you say you've been practicing for about, well, practicing, but you've had the Inspire Living for about four years now. And, um, and now you have insurance companies and things along this nature. So in your infancy, like what type of things were you doing? Was, uh, was the insurance, was that like an immediate thing that had to happen or was something that you had to roll out a little bit later on? So what in your early stages, what type of things were you you know, doing in order to get clientele, to earn business, to, I guess, better yourself and better your knowledge base, not only on the mental health aspect of it, but you're also a business owner. So about taxes and everything else and insurance claims. So like, what was your process from your infancy to kind of where you're at right now? Um, so like I said, so you obviously establish your, your LLC, become registered with the state. Um, the, the tricky thing with insurance, so also to within private practice, you have to determine whether or not you want to be private pay or accept insurances. Um, I found that accepting insurances makes mental health more accessible. Everyone can afford to pay your, your private pay rate. I mean, granted, ethically, we have to provide what we call a sliding scale, which is like a significantly discounted rate. Mm. Um, but having everyone pay a sliding scale fee isn't sustainable. It isn't a sustainable business model. So um, I, I do both. And, and that's worked for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but getting insurance, getting what we call credentialed and being becoming a panel with these insurances is a nightmare. And sometimes it can take years. So at this point, I'm credentialed with three insurances, but it, they all took about a year to become credentialed. And then sometimes I got, I've even applied to different insurances and were denied because the 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 market was oversaturated with other clinicians um, that accepted the insurance and they basically didn't want to take anybody else on. So hmm. I've had a few of those. So it's not easy. Like taking insurances is not easy. Then too, again, you have to really evaluate your business model because with insurances, you know, if I bill for an insurance today, I may not get paid until three weeks from now. So hmm. you know, is my business okay without having that immediate payment? That's one then you also run the risk of um, getting kickback. Like the, the insurance is, well, no, we're not paying. Like, or they, you know, they've exceeded their allotment for coverage. Like it's, insurances are just so tricky. And then two, another aspect of insurances and another benefit, I think, of, of having a therapist that's transparent is that oftentimes I tell some of my clients, like depending on your job, you may not want to use your insurance because whatever we talk about is subject to being requested. So if if you tell me something, if if you tell me something, you know, I I have to, especially if it's uh, something major, I I have to document that. I have to document it. Wait, 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 wait. So like, so your employers can access that if it's going through your employee's insurance? Yes. Really? That's not like a violation of HIPAA or anything like that because of that? information. Wow. So you sign that release, it's all it's all subject to 
being pulled. So that's why I'm up front with them. Like, look, depending on what you got going on, you may, if you can afford it, you may just want to pay out of pocket because, you know, that the only time that out of pocket documentation can be pulled, it will have to be subpoenaed by court. But wow. um, yeah, so it's just so much that goes into it. But again, you want to have a therapist that you can trust. It's going to be straight up with you. Like right. if you have um, a S, what we call an SMI, which is um, a severe mental illness, which is like a schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, something like that, that could potentially impact your work and your, and your, and your job may not even know about it. But if for some reason the insurance wants to inquire about why they're paying for, you know, all these sessions, if they pull these records, they're going to know what the diagnosis is. So in certain cases, you have to think about that too. So again, I that's good information. I would have never, I wouldn't even think that was a thing. I thought that was like, you know, patient, you know, clinician confidentiality. I didn't know they could pull stuff like that. That's crazy. The thing is, I mean, I can't just give it to them. The patient has to sign that release. Mm. So, but if they sign that release, then all of it's subject to being requested. So, um, but yeah, so again, I feel like, you know, insurance is kind of a hit or miss sometimes, but I, you know, it, it absolutely makes it accessible because, you know, I have some clients who have good insurance and they don't pay any, they don't pay a copay or anything. Mm. They basically come to me scot-free, you know, for the, I mean, they're paying obviously. Right. Somebody paying, right? <laughs> they aren't having to pay a copay. They aren't having to pay this ridiculous amount up front and it just makes it more accessible for them so you know it, it depends on what your business model is it works for me i know some clinicians that are completely private pay you know it just it just really depends on um on what you're trying to do but it, it is a very very stressful process and it takes a while too so early on um before i started my own practice i was able to work under someone else who was already credentialed and already paneled and they brought me on. So I was still able to practice without um, technically having my own contract with um, that insurance. So kind of finessed it that way in a sense, but okay, it's a, it's a lot of little like nuances when it comes to becoming credentialed and, esta- and establishing yourself in that right. And is that something that you have to renew every year or once you're credentialed, you're credentialed? Um, they can drop you. You know, if, if they feel like you aren't seeing enough people, like <laughs> so much, they, they can drop you if, if you feel like you aren't seeing enough people, if they're having issues with you, if you're having all these billing errors and stuff like that, which is why I hired a biller. Because first of all, I absolutely hate billing. I hate it's it. a whole other process I hear about. So like I hired a biller that was the best thing I've ever done because also too, they're like different. Like, it's just so much, Josh. It's like little add-on codes you can add on. That'll get you like extra money and all kinds of stuff. So my biller knows what to add on. And so she just, she does it. God bless that lady. (laughs) (laughs) And um, it's just, it's just so much that goes into it. But um, also too, a big struggle for me. And because again, as a black woman and what Mm -hmm. I, you know, in a sense, what I've been conditioned to think is that I'm superwoman and I think I can just do everything and that I just, you know, can handle everything. So knowing when to delegate and knowing when to get an assistant or hire a biller, because mind you, at one point I'm doing follow-up calls, I'm doing insurance verification, I'm doing billing, I'm doing the sessions. It's, just, it's too much. It's hard. Oh, I get it. Oh yeah. my God. Oh, we well, preach it now. <laughs> so that was, that was my biggest thing too. I had to kind of have a, a little heart to heart with myself like now you know like you're tired like you like you know good and well you want to go to sleep but it's like at some point you know your your time is worth so much more than what you think you'll be saving by doing on your own so yeah you got we I had to get that mentality like if i don't do it it's not gonna be done right like nah you just you gotta hire the right help that's all precisely and that's something that i still struggle with but again like i was that was my mentality for the longest and, and, you know, I can admit I'm a, you know, I'm a, I'm a little of a control freak in a sense. And I just like things to be done a certain way. And I'm very particular about how I like things done. Mm-hmm. So I didn't think that bringing someone on that they would be able to execute these tasks, how I wanted it to be done. So it, I don't know. It, I just had to really have a sit down with myself, if you will. Self, and, yes. Listen, because oh, <laughs> it's, it's exhausting. Like and, it's exhausting when you do it all yourself. It really is. And it's not worth it. It's really not worth it. Like I said, you 
you know, you budgeting for whatever you got to pay people to do this stuff is worth so much more than sacrificing your time. Like, absolutely. So that was, that was, that was a really, really big challenge for me is learning when to delegate and telling myself that it's okay to delegate, like accepting that I'm not this superhero that can just run around all day doing everything. I hear that. that So, so with like the, with the increase, uh, you were mentioning that, you know, with, um, with, with the insurance companies that they kind of gauge you based on, or they can decide to drop you if you're not seeing enough people or anything like that. So to spin off that, have you seen an increase in your clientele or an increase in your business since COVID? I'm full. I have a waiting list right now. Oh my God. Look at God. I got a waiting list. Listen, people, folks are sitting at home thinking about their problems and being forced to deal with their emotions. And, you know, a lot of people, reached out and just been like, you know, I've been, I've never dealt with this trauma, you know, something that happened to me in my childhood that I've always kind of just swept under the rug. People, yeah, people have been sitting home and they've been forced to sit with themselves and they've been forced to really kind of address their emotions because oftentimes, especially when you're dealing with depression, it's so easy to be functionally depressed and you can go to work, you can do all these things when you are dying on the inside, but you're so busy with outside, the outside world, you don't have a chance to really feel how you feel. So with COVID, with everything shutting down, people were literally forced to, to, to feel their feelings and to acknowledge their feelings. Um, so, you know, it's, it's been great for business for me, but it's also been great for my clients that they can get the, the healing that, that they've been putting off. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, but right now I'm, I'm full, God is good. And that's why I'm, you know, I'm, I'm urgently trying to hire someone because I'm, I'm still getting referrals and, you know, word of mouth and all this kind of stuff, but I just can't see anyone. And then on top of that too, I'm also a clinical supervisor, which means I offer um, super clinical supervision for people who are in their licensure process. So it's just a lot. Yeah. So it's, I've definitely seen an increase. Um, thank God. I, I, you know, I haven't had an issue with not seeing enough people for insurances mm-hmm. um, because it, business is been really good for me. I hear that. So like, so how have you been, you know, managing, all this stuff, you know, you're booked. I mean, you have a full-time life. Uh, I mean, you know, you go to Mars often. You might... <laughs> she she loves to travel, ladies and gents. She loves to travel. <laughs> so how how has it been trying to like balance everything? See the growth in your business, growth in yourself during this time, and trying to manage everything. It's been rough, and um, you know, I can say that I'm even though I advocate for self-care, I'm not the best at it myself. Mm. Um, you know, we're, we're usually the worst people. Yeah, exactly. I'm so bad at it. And well, I guess, you know, in a sense, traveling was my, was my self-care, but that's been cut out, you know, mm. for me. So like I've been cooking more, cooking has become very therapeutic for me, but it's been really tough, especially again, given this climate with the different riots and just different uh, social circumstances, it's been very hard for me to, process all of this on my own and then still show up for my clients to help them do the same mm-hmm. so it's it's been it's been very uh it's been very challenging like it's just been very overwhelming like i'm just tired like you know at one point you know we couldn't even go outside but i was still drained like i was just emotionally just mentally just tired mm-hmm. and um i think that's when i started like cooking more um partly because nothing was open but um, <laughs> hungry, <laughs> but, but um, but yes, I, I I will say that COVID has made me like again forced me to do better with my self care. But it's been challenging. It's been challenging to only you know maintain my sanity and my mental health, but also help others do the same. Mm-hmm. So it's it's been very challenging. It's been very very challenging, and I've had to get creative in how to recharge myself because you, you you can't pour from an empty well so right all right I was completely depleted and operating in like in a deficit and i had to get creative on how i how i could recharge and also too um i don't know i, I what, what do they call it like a um introverted extrovert mm-hmm. i think i don't know if that's like a thing but um, I, I get it i get it though right okay <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, I, I'm, I'm very social, but I also like being alone sometimes. Like, I love, like, laying in my bed and, like, literally watching Netflix all day. Like, not even responding to texts or call. Like, just 
Like, do not disturb, like, all the way. This, but it's needed sometimes. It feels so it good. It is needed because, like, I, I get it because, like, I'm that big ball of energy. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm the one that's usually... <laughs> I'm usually the one that's radiating all the energy, but like it's sometimes you just want to be like, you know what? I don't feel like talking to nobody. I don't feel like I don't want to see nobody. Like it's, I get it because people can be draining sometimes. Like I get it. I get it. Especially too, like you know, like how people always say, like you know, check on your strong friend. Mm-hmm. And I think oftentimes because we do have you know a certain type of personality we have these personalities where people just kind of assume that we're always okay Mm -hmm. and you know for me I literally literally listen to problems all day long from 7 a.m until sometimes 8 or 9 p.m so you know it's so important for me to set boundaries within my personal life like Mm -hmm. no you you can't just I'm not I'm not accessible like that like you can't just call me like I'm, I'm off the clock I'm sorry now if if it's a crisis yeah that's a different story but if you just want to talk hey I'm sorry like I can't do it today. Like I just, mm-hmm. I just can't. So I, I started to set timers for myself. Like I, at, at eleven o'clock, like my my phone goes to silent mode. Like eleven o'clock, I'm in REM sleep. I don't <laughs> <know>. <laughs> Not REM. <laughs> oh, I'm in the bed easy by like it's late. If I'm not in the bed by like ten, it's late. But oh like, no. <laughs> yeah. it's ten o'clock. So it was like you know I go to sleep and I wake up early and I start my day. Like I'm up by like 5.36 a.m. Like I don't even set an alarm. That's how bad it is. Mm-hmm. Like I, I'm, my body is up like clockwork. So yeah, definitely setting boundaries within my personal life. That's, that, that's helped too. Like I just can't, you know, it, but it's a very fine line between being a good friend, being a good daughter, being a good sister, being a good best friend, those kind of things and being supportive while also maintaining my peace and, and protecting my, my emotional space. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I've, it's, it's Lord knows it's been a work in progress, but I've, I've gotten better at that. And, you know, unfortunately, I've always, like I said, going back to even before I declared my major as, you know, as what it was, I was always the strong friend. So people just kind of gravitate towards me in that right. But it's, it's been a work in progress as far as setting boundaries and knowing that I have, I, I literally have people that depend on me. So I have to be in the best space. To, to to best serve. So yeah. it's, it's in progress. Absolutely. I was seeing I was watching this thing from um Ayala Save My Life. I think that's what the show was called. But it was like a clip that I saw on YouTube and it was talking about, you know, being self-full. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it's it's okay to be self-full. And because if you don't take care of yourself, like you said, if you have nothing in your cup, like people supposed to get your overflow. You know what I'm saying? So if 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 it's no if you have nothing to get from your cup, like you're not doing yourself or anybody else any kind of justice whatsoever, like people are supposed to catch your overflow, not what's actually in your cup. So exactly. it's it's and that's so important. That's something that I had to learn also. It's just like it's, like you said, everybody everybody just can't have access to you, no, and, you and you, or you got to control that access as much as you possibly can. Like you want to be that good friend because you've always been that good friend. And you want to be that person because you've always been that good person. But when you can't sleep at night or, you know, you gaining weight and you depressed because based off their problems. <laughs> you're not good for nobody. Yeah. A, you, have, you, you have to set those boundaries. And again, like you, you deal with that guilt of feeling like, you know, you aren't showing up for people who usually show up for you. But you have to remember that you have to preserve yourself before you can be there for anyone else. And people oftentimes... Like, being, like, you know, the word selfish has such a negative connotation, but I feel like to maintain a healthy lifestyle, you have to have a, a, a certain element of selfishness. Exactly. Okay. Like we need to normalize, you know, healthy selfishness. Now, some people are just selfish and nasty and self-centered. That's a whole different conversation. Right. But, you know, we really should normalize a healthy, a healthy element of being selfish and being able to say no. Like if you don't want to, you know, go somewhere or go out or hang out and be able to say no confident confidently without an explanation like i'm i don't feel like i don't i just don't want to go like it's just, just not nah. right, oh. right. <laughs> you have to like i said in order to maintain a healthy lifestyle you have to have that element of, of healthy selfishness mm-hmm. it's really okay and I, i've learned that and at this point i'm unapologetic about it you know it's like i, I show up for my people when i when i have to 
Mm-hmm. And when I, and when it's needed and when it's planned, I'm a huge planner. So don't you don't call me the day I'm trying to do anything because I I won't be available. That's a wrap. That's a no. And I've agreed to it. I, I'll I'll be there. But you gotta it's it's preservation. Like you you gotta absolutely. Self-preservation is important. Like, oh my God. So like with, with everything that you, your transition from, I didn't even know you wanted to be a veterinarian. That's crazy. Um, you went from vet, dealing with, dealing with, dealing with puppies to people. That's the, whoa, <laughs> whoa. So, um, so with all your progress and, you know, you're saying that you're a work in progress and, you know, your, your, your business is growing. Like what successes have you seen within yourself and what successes have you seen within your business as time begins to progress for you? Um, successes within myself as far as I, I, I'm proud of myself for grinding. And it's funny, I just had dinner with my friend actually last night and she was like, you know, you've always been driven. You've always been like motivated. And she was like, you know, like how? And for me, it was like, I, I didn't have the luxury of being able to depend on anybody else. So it was, I learned very early that nobody owes me anything. And if I want, if I want something, I am responsible for getting it literally. Like it's, it's no, like literally nothing else. Like I, I have to do it. No in-betweens. Yeah. So it was, you know, and I, I knew the type of life that I wanted to live. I, I knew the type of life that I wanted my children to live. And I had to get it like, you know, that's just kind of what that was. So my personal successes is that I'm proud of myself for grinding. Like I have worked my butt off and the things that I pray for are manifesting and they are coming to fruition. And I'm, I'm proud of, of, you know, remaining, you know, diligent in the things that I've, that I've set out to do at this point, everything that I've, set out to do I've done and I'm on track to continue to do that mm-hmm. so I'm proud of myself for sticking to my goals I'm proud of myself for you know not giving up because Lord knows there's some times I don't like you know I forget all this and even too like my first time um taking my licensure exam I didn't pass and I just knew the world was ending I'm like oh this is <laughs> 2021 is here 20 20- <laughs> I just remember being so discouraged and just being like, you know, I, oh my God, like, because like when we take our exam, it tells you on the screen, like whether you passed or not. And oh, so, like, like when you there? Immediately, yeah. Like, oh, no. I can't take So when that thing popped up and said failed, like, what's we'll it fail? But like life is over. Like, I'm like, oh, this is it. I'm. Yeah, I, I'm going back to school. I don't even want to do this no more. Like I'm, I'm <laughs> I ain't even want to do this anyway. Cry, <laughs> like I was so discouraged, and I didn't want to see study materials. I didn't want to see nothing related to the exam. And um, I took like a year off. Like I didn't pick up nothing to study for like a year. Like I was just, I was so shook. Like I was, I was shook. Mm-hmm. So, um, but you know, I, I got myself out of that funk. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to pass this test. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to pass it. And I, I was super disciplined in my, in my, my study regimen and just, you know, what I needed to do to pass. And I did it. So, I'm, I'm proud of myself for, for sticking to my goals. I'm proud of myself for grinding. Mm-hmm. And um, the successes within my business, I'm, I'm proud that, you know. I've been able to create something that is, you know, God's will will be a legacy for myself. Um, It's first and foremost, a a resource for the community. And there are some other things I'm trying to do within my, um, within my business, again, to make mental health more accessible, to to provide education and more support for, um, for our community. And even I'm, you know, trying to partner with different churches to, um, to, to speak, so that they know that it's, you know, we are on a united front when it comes to conquering this thing. Like it's not, again, not either or, you know, we can do, you can tackle mental health with, with your, your Christianity too. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of things that I'm doing within my business to make it a true resource and a true pillar in the community for, for mental health and to really break down the stigma and, and, and serve as a pioneer in conquering this 
this epidemic, if you will, or people that look like me. So I'm, 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 I think that that's the success in and of itself. Hey man, man, but I, I hear that. So, you know, where, where can we find you at? I think, I think I need to go sit on the couch and, and, and get some questions asked and answered for me to see where I'm at. I know I'm a little, I know I'm a little off, but I don't know how off. So no. like, where, where can we find your information at so we can give you a call if we need those services? So, um, my email address is contact at inspiredlivingconsulting.net. Um, my phone, our telephone number is 321-622. Uh, 3840. Our Instagram is Inspired Living Counseling and our website is inspiredlivingconsulting.net. Hey, so y'all listen to my people, to all people, like mental health is not taboo. Like if you need these services at this time, you need to get your mental health. If you work out your body and you go get manicures and pedicures, you need to do the same thing for your mind and your brain. So make sure you give Miss Lewis a call or hit her up on her IG or just, you know, shoot her an email to see what they can possibly do for you. But we're going to kick to a commercial break and we're going to hit y'all with the book of the week. I'll see y'all in a minute though. Man, listen, I'm a pharmacist and I still don't know how insurance works. But when I do have questions, I always hit up Appealing for Your Rx. They're a Central Florida company that provides education on maximizing your healthcare benefits while also lowering your out of pocket costs. So hit them up at www.deannacarolsmith.com and use the code name 10 Toes Down and you might get a discount. Once again, that's www.deannacarolsmith.com. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. So the book of the week this week is called Loyalty to Your Soul by Drs. Ronald and Mary Honick. This book talks a little bit about spiritual psychology. Yeah, bro, this one's a little deeper. I told y'all been on my spiritual stuff lately, man. But this book definitely highlights a lot about the inner peace that we seek. Um, in regards when I was talking about in the first segment, just taking responsibility, um, looking at just situations a whole lot differently, changing perspectives. And it highlights a lot of different attributes um, to help along and a lot of different tools to help you along that journey. Um, it's a little dry. It's a little long, but the concepts in it are priceless. And um, you know what I'm on already, man. Audible. Holla at me, Bezos. But definitely check it out if you're looking to change your perspective in your life on a lot of different concepts. But you know, man, make sure next week y'all kick next week's ass. It deserves it. And always remember, man, you got 10 souls down. You got another chance to get this right. I'll see y'all next week. Peace.